Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. I want you to get this next principle, so look at me. Focus. Here we go. We teach the Word of God. The Word of God is not a storybook. The Word of God is not a novel. The Word of God, Hebrews tells us, it's living and it's active. And we don't know where that seed goes when we share the Word of God. But we're going to pray for our relatives that it finds what? Good soil. And you never know when that Word is going to come back. God's powerful Word never returns void. That's truth. When all else fails, humanly speaking, go back to what you know, God's Word. Mixed with prayer is the work, and that dear Christian friend is an unstoppable force. Scripture says the good news is the power that can save anyone. Today, we're reminded that God's love and patience shows He's not willing for anyone to perish. So even when you're ready to throw in the towel, He's not. Despite what you may feel, no matter how long it takes, no one is beyond the reach of God's love. So keep up the good work. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, with his continuing study entitled, James, Jesus' Brother, Skeptic to Radical Believer. He's alive. 500 people. How do you know? Saw his hands. Saw the scars. He's alive. I saw him personally. Nothing better than an eyewitness. Proving again, he was resurrected. See, when he was resurrected, if he hadn't seen anybody, if we didn't have any proof, how would we know? There's all kinds of proof. Now, when that begins happening, those personal witnesses are powerful. Now, look at verse 7. Then he appeared to his younger half-brother, James, and then to all the apostles. We really don't know how that happened. We, we don't know what took place. We don't know whether Jesus went after him and tried to talk with him because he would have been the oldest right there. And we, we really don't know what happened. But for whatever reason, he became a full-on believer what changed his heart? How did he move from this longtime skeptic? Probably 30 years, a non-believer, refusing to believe. What, what caused that to be a full-on follower of Jesus Christ? He had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. I would have loved to have heard the conversation, wouldn't you? Probably Jesus said nothing. And James went, oh my goodness. I've been wrong for 30 years. Probably bowed down and wept. And you'll see later, this was another proof that the resurrection did happen. Because James, James now writes a book that he is a changed man 
forever. Here's a principle. You want to write it down. This is why we have hope this morning. And I hope as you write it down, you understand this. No one is beyond the reach of God's love. 30 years a skeptic living in the very home where Jesus is born, absolutely refusing to believe. Absolutely refusing. No one is beyond the reach of God's love. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that mean the person on your list? Yes, it does. They're not beyond the reach of God's love. Could I hear an amen? Come on. If James can become a believer, anybody can become a believer. 30 years, same home, but there's going to be more. But there's going to be more as we go through. Now, let me tell you, he not only became a believer, he became a radical believer. So much so that the Jewish people couldn't shut him up. So they martyred him because he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, that's a change in life. That's not like somebody, well, I became a believer and it's nice if it fits. No, he, he was martyred. There is proof. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. That's fantastic. Now, when you think about that, Paul Harvey used to say this, and here is the rest of the story. Young people don't even know who Paul Harvey is. Okay, that's good. <laughs> now, what happened after this is that Jesus says to his uh, disciples, after he was resurrected, he says, uh, you have to go to Jerusalem, and you have to wait, to be filled with the power of God. Jesus said, what I had to do minister, you have to be. Just because I'm resurrected, you can't go into all the world. He gave him the Great Commission. You've got to go into all the world. You can't go unless you're empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit. So they go to the upper room. About 120 are in that upper room. And they pray and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them to empower them to go. I want you to see who's in the upper room. Take a look. Acts 1.14. They all join together, 120 of them, 120 believers, constantly in a prayer, along with the women, other women were there, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his, what? All of the brothers have now become believers. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. I have an idea that James went and said, boys, sit down. I just saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. That guy, that kid that we were living with, he's God. <laughs> so they all become believers. Mary already was a believer. So here they are, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Well, you know what happened. Not only is James there, but this amazing whole group are there. So after meeting the resurrected Christ, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what happened. As that began to take place, an amazing thing took place. I'm going to fast forward a little bit, then I'm going to, in a few moments, go back to this. What? James, not a believer too long... After the day of Pentecost, they're all filled. The next thing we see as we move through the book of James, that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, is the beginning of the New Testament church. It's the first time there's a New Testament church. It's headquartered in Jerusalem. Powerful church headquartered in Jerusalem. Jews, because the early church was Jews, that had become Christians. James will be the head 
of the church in Jerusalem. Amazing. From a skeptic, a few weeks later, God puts him as the head of the most influential church at that time in the world. James, the head of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Wow. Amazing. Now, let's go and see, as you do, he would then later write a book. And you're going to see why he writes a book. Now, let's go back to James 1.1, where you were. James 1.1, quickly, and I'll get right through it. Now, how many enjoyed this kind of little traipsing through from, from the beginning all the way to see? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Now, now, why did I do that? Because you need to know who wrote the book. You need to know the author, his background, how he's going to relate so that we can relate. Remember, remember knowledge plus application equals transformation. We're not here just to get a bunch of knowledge. Notice the transformation that took place in his life and your life as well. Now let's read this verse. James, a servant of God. I'm going to break it into three parts as we finish. James, a servant of God. Now if you're James and you're writing a book, how are you going to introduce yourself? My name is James and I'm the brother of the Messiah. I lived with them for 30 years, baby. Can I name drop a few more? Mary is my mom. You know, the Virgin Mary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't laugh. You and I would put that right in the front page of that sucker. Because other than that, who in the heck is James? There's like a million James. He doesn't do that. Notice what he calls himself. Notice. This is amazing. He says, I'm a servant of God. Now, that word servant, we're not familiar with it. It's bondservant. It simply means this, a slave of God. And it means this, look at me, one who is in a permanent relationship of service. I tell you all the time, when you become a Christian, following Jesus Christ is not an event. It's a lifestyle. So write this down this morning. This is exactly who James is. This is how he introduced himself. Now, James would never use the word humble. I'm using it. If you call yourself, hey, I'm Mark the humble preacher at Calvary Chapel, you're an idiot because you're no longer humble. So I, I put it there for him. James, a permanent humble servant of God. Now, here's where the power comes in. Where would James know that being a servant of God is godly? Because he heard Jesus teach it. Remember, he heard many times Jesus teach, but he wasn't a believer. Notice, Matthew 20, 28, Jesus speaking. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, that's where James learned it. James understood that we're all, we're nothing but servants of God. And what a privilege to be that. Now, let's read on. A servant of God, and here we go, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James recognized the deity of Christ by placing him, notice, co-equal with God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. Direct. He got it. He knew he used his full name. Now, let me, let me kind of dissect. To us, it looks like, wow, that's cool. Let me dissect it really quickly. Jesus means Savior. Whose Savior was it? James. He's your Savior. 
Jesus, he saved you. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, anointed one. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. He was God. And then Lord is a name we're familiar with in the Greek. Kurios simply means the owner, the master, one who has control of the person. So the Lord Jesus Christ, what is James saying? He's simply saying this. He knew that Jesus was God and the master of his life. He knew that he would respond to God and God alone. He was not the master of his own life. Now, where did he learn that? Once again, he learned it from the teaching of Jesus. Let me read it to you. John 5, 19. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Now, I want you to get this next principle. So look at me. Focus. Here we go. We teach the Word of God. The Word of God is not a storybook. The Word of God is not a novel. The Word of God, Hebrews tells us, it's living and it's active. And we don't know where that seed goes when we share the Word of God, but we're going to pray for our relatives that it finds what? Good soil. And you never know when that Word is going to come back. So for 30 years, especially toward the end, James is hearing these things. Useless. Has no relationship at all. All of a sudden, the word comes back to him, and he's modeling his life after the word of God. Would you write this down? This is key for us. This is key for you. God's powerful word, hallelujah, never returns void. See, it isn't something you just put on a shelf. It isn't a dusty Bible. It's the Word of God is living and active. And I have the privilege this morning of teaching you the Word of God. It will never return void in your life. That's what you want to pray for your loved ones. That they'll hear a message. They'll hear a radio program. They'll see something. It's filled with the Word of God. See, my illustrations are useless. But the Word of God is living. You say, well, it doesn't make sense. That's exactly right. Because it's God's word. It's not ours. It's not a, that's why we teach the word of God. That's why we're going through this whole book. James understood that principle. It was powerful. Never be ashamed of the word of God. So what is the title of today's teaching? You probably could care less, except you should Facebook it or Twitter it or hash mark it or do something to, when you leave the service. Not now. Come on. Just watch. Right, here. Here, here's, here's the title of the service. Of this teaching. Jesus, brother, skeptic to radical believer. Now, here's the next principle I want to write. How did that happen? Well, it happened through the Word of God, but it happened one other way. Here's the principle you want to write down the power of prayer. Nothing is impossible with God. How many times over the 30 years do you think Jesus prayed for his brothers and sisters? They probably never knew it. But the disciples, when they followed Jesus, what did they ask him one day? They never asked him, teach us how to preach. What did they ask him? Teach us how to pray. They knew that prayer changes things. Prayer changes me. Prayer changes people. Do not write the name down and not pray. We must pray. Pray. Get on your knees, wherever you're at. Come down to this campus. Walk the parking lot. Just pray. Prayer changes things. So when Jesus saw this, 
I'm sure he wasn't surprised at James because he'd been praying for James and the brothers and the sisters. I guarantee you, when he was old enough to understand that amazing power of prayer. There's no doubt in my mind that that happened. Jesus prayed. Then James became this very influential believer, like I told you about. He learned to step up. He learned to venture out. He learned to change his world. How? By watching Jesus. He watched Jesus. That was his role model. I can step up. I can venture out. I can proclaim the gospel. That's exactly what he did. Now, I want you to write this down because this also gives us hope. Here we go. God's love and patience shows he is not willing for anyone to perish. What you see with the brothers of Jesus coming to the Lord is simply this. God is patient. You say, Pastor Mike, I've been praying for my uncle for 29 years. You got a year to go. I'm just kidding. Don't give up. Don't give up. God can change anyhow. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Have hope. Keep praying. That's exactly the picture that we see. Now let's finish. Let's go back to verse 1 and let's finish the ending. To the 12 tribes, who in the world is James writing to? Well, number one, he's writing to us. All scripture, Timothy says, as Paul says to Timothy, is profitable. But who is he writing to specifically in those days? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. James is writing to the Jews who had become believers but were scattered around the world. Now, in the Old Testament, we see a great picture. The nation of Israel eventually splits into two, and eventually both of them go into captivity. And when one of those groups comes back, they, never, they just start intermarrying, and they, they, they go all over the known world. They just recapture most of them. Some of them became Samaritans. Most of them just forgot their religion, just moved. The other parts, some went back to Jerusalem, but then they scattered over the world. Then all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, thousands of years, actually maybe a thousand years later, on the day of Pentecost, it's a big celebration for Jewish believers. They come to Jerusalem. And when Pentecost happened, you remember, those people that were filled, the 120 that were filled in the upper room, they began to praise God in all these languages that they'd never heard of. Well, who was listening to them? People, Jewish people from where? All over the world had come. And after that, Peter preached. Peter preached. And how many people got saved? 3,000 at this time. 3,000 of them, Jewish people, became believers. Remember now, the Jewish church is how a Christian church started. They were all Jews. A few Gentiles from time to time. Later, way more. Paul hadn't done his journey yet. None of that's happened. So all of these people are Jewish Christians now. Now, some of them stayed for a little while in Jerusalem. Then eventually they go back to their home. So you go back to your home in Rome or wherever you're at. Maybe, uh, you know, another city. Who knows? Africa, you go back to your home. How much do you know about Jesus? Un poco. I mean, you heard a sermon. You really don't know a lot. You don't have, a, you don't have the internet. You don't have an iPad. You don't, can't turn on Christian TV. Oh, that's what it meant. So what is James going to write to? Those people. But there's more than that. Pretty soon the persecution comes to the church in Jerusalem. And Acts 8.1 says more people were scattered 
around the world. They had to leave Jerusalem. Again, they're lacking practical knowledge of how to do this thing called Christian life. Now, when they scatter, amazingly, James says this, now count it all joy when you're persecuted. Oh, thanks a lot. Why would he write that? If you go back to Rome and you're now a Christian, who hates you? The pagans and the Jews hate you because you believe in Jesus. So you're going to be what? Persecuted. That's exactly what's going to happen. So James is going to write a book of practical information so that these people scattered around the world could simply understand understand how to do the Christian life right. So this is why the title of our teaching, look at it. This is why the title for the next four or five months, here it is, Living Successfully in a Hostile World. You say, well, Pastor Mark, that's fantastic. Thanks for the explanation. It really makes sense to me now. But what does it have to do with me? I'm not a Jew. I don't live in a hostile world. <laughs> Open your eyeballs for a moment, please. I mean, guys, we live in a hostile world. And people, by and large, they don't really care for us as Christians. In the United States, they definitely don't care for us. But I want to tell you, God is powerful. God is powerful. 4% of the Christians in the world live in the West. You live in the West. 4%. 96% of the Christians live outside of the West. See, we think, well, we're like setting the stage. We're nothing. But we're here. This is where God's placed us. And so as you understand that, I, I want to show you and share with you something. Because you might think, well, Pastor Mark, we're not scattered. We're, we're right here. No. Every week, we come together at all of our campuses for a reason. We gather. And we come to be taught. That's what James is going to do. They couldn't come to Jerusalem, so we had to send the teaching to them. That's why you're here today. We, every weekend, we teach. Wednesday nights, small groups, we're teaching people how to be equipped. And as soon as we leave this building, we're doing what? We're scattering. We're leaving. We're going in the community. So you're not scattered to Rome or whatever, but you're scattered at work. You're scattered at, at class and college. You're scattered in your neighborhood. You're, you're scattered at your place of recreation. We're scattered everywhere. What are we supposed to be? Salt and light. Because our world is lost. 4% of the Christians live in the West we become pretty much a godless nation. This is the last days, guys. We live in a hostile world. I want to teach you through the power of the Word of God over the series how to live successfully where we're at. And let's change our world where we live for Jesus Christ. At the beginning of this study, Pastor Mark challenged you to write the name of an unbelieving family member on a piece of paper you were to commit to regular prayer for their salvation. He ended today's message by reminding us of that agreement. Prayer is the work. It changes things and it changes people. Are you keeping your end of the bargain up? God will certainly honor His. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Mark will continue to go through this series in the next edition of Lessons for Living. 
To add today's message to your study library, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5, and that includes shipping. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. Now here's Josh with today's message number and title. Thanks. Today's message was taught on January 26th, 2014. And the title of this message is James, Jesus' brother, skeptic to radical believer. Again, today's message was taught on January 26th, 2014. And the message title is James, Jesus' brother, skeptic to radical believer. Are trials really good for us? Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark helps answer this question from a biblical perspective. A trial is something or someone that tests your endurance. Without them, we wouldn't know where we were at on the spiritual scale. The text we'll be studying tells us to consider these tests pure joy. Thankfully, it doesn't end there. Tune in to find out why faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue sharing with us from the book of James. That's next time on Lessons for Living. Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a hurting world A new hope He is giving Let us hear your lessons.